0: He's in Crescent City. He's as far north in California as you can get and still be in California almost. Um, He's doing his last assignment for Northern California Conference. He's uh, helping the Crescent City Church uh, work through their natural church development program. Um, He started with them a little while back. And so uh, he uh, he would send you his greetings and let you know he already misses you and he's not yet gone. We spent a little time in the office this week, so if you come into the office sometime next week, you might bump into him. Um, it's just a mirage; he's not staying. Okay. He's already gotten his started moving his books and stuff, so we know he's definitely on his on the road. So, where the preacher takes his books, he's done. We have been uh, talking about the kingdom specifically in the book of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. Um, There was a tragedy in our kingdom, in the earthly kingdom of heaven this week. Um, I don't know if you heard about it, but um, this week a gunman went into a Wednesday, or went into an evening prayer meeting and uh, shot several people in that prayer meeting in the... uh, Emmanuel A&E Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, no, I might have, my, town, my town's wrong. South Carolina. Charleston, thank you. Char- Charlotte was where Lee's transferring to. Charleston, South Carolina. I just want to encourage you to lift those, those folks up and lift that community up. Um, the weeks ahead are going to be very tough. And I just want to ask you to pray for them to seek God's blessing on them, to seek the comfort and presence of the Spirit for them. Um, As much as churches seem to be competitors, like basketball teams or something like that, ultimately, we are trying to point people to Jesus. And I would ask for you to pray for them as they seek the recovery from such a tragedy. their pastor and two actually two of their pastors were killed um and the rest of the folks that were there were all church members in that congregation um please pray for them in fact i'm going to ask you before i start preaching this morning if you'll join me for a, a word of prayer as well Father, sometimes it's hard to believe the kinds of things that happen on this planet. This one reminds us that even in church, tragedies can take place. And people who are disturbed, people who are being led by evil, who are filled with hate, Satan has a hold of all over the world continue to bring difficulty and harm and specifically to this one church we ask for your Holy Spirit's blessing we ask your blessing upon those families who've lost their loved ones we ask your blessing upon that church that as they Stand together this week that you will put them all very closely, that you will tie them all very closely together. We pray for that community that they will stand and support and bless and help. we we'll look forward to the day when these kinds of things no longer happen. When we join you in the kingdom and there is one Lord, one baptism, there is one church and we all bow at your feet. Amen. Until that day, Lord, we just ask for you to continue to pour out your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Some years ago, a cartoonist came up with a, a big idea. Sometimes, don't you wish you would come up with the big ideas? You know, don't you wish you were the guy who said, I think people will buy rocks as pets. <laughs> a cartoonist drew a little character. I see that some of you are already trying to figure out where he is. I see people pointing. You go ahead. See if you can find him. What's she looking for, folks? Waldo. Waldo. If you haven't seen Waldo, I can't tell. I'll point him out to you in a minute. But the trick of this whole thing is Waldo was always hidden in plain sight. He was always in the middle of some scape like that with lots of people wearing colors and stripes. He wears red, white striped shirt and hat. And when Jesus tells the parables that we're going to talk about today, he's talking about the hidden kingdom. Last week we talked about that little mustard seed that you plant in the corner of your garden that sprouts and grows and pretty soon it's knee high and then it's hip high and shoulder high and it's over your head and the birds are landing in it. We talked about how the, the small, tiny nature of the church, as it was then, 12 disciples, at the most about 82 people, was sent forth to take on the Roman Empire. And Jesus said, it may look just like a mustard seed, but man, a mustard seed can produce a lot. It may look like a little bit of leaven hidden a bunch of flour, but man, when you put that leavening in there, it can make a big difference. And he went on in the same chapter to, t- to talk about the hidden church, the hidden treasures. There's Waldo right there. Can you see him now? He's buying socks. For those of you who have gone through the rest of the service frustrated because you didn't find him, that's that yellow arrow right there. That's what it's for. Now you have peace. So I want to show you some other things, hidden in plain sight. Do you see him? Oh, wrong one. Just in case, just in case I knew that I might need this today. That is a nose. That is a dog. A very fluffy dog. See that one? That's his leg. That's a lizard, not a leaf. You see this one because he's winking at you. If he closed his eyes, I'm not sure we could see him. That's the hardest one. See him? That's a leg. That's a leg. That's an eye. It's a frog. I can only hear the first few rows, and people in the front are saying, really? (laughs) See if I can draw him. Hand, leg, back of the frog, back leg. got him hidden in plain sight. There he sits on the side of that tree, but you don't see him hidden in plain sight. Camouflage. We use the term camouflage for all, all sorts of things. You know that uh, they paint ships on the ocean in camouflage. Now, how would you camouflage a ship floating out on the ocean? Paint it the color of the water? Didn't work. It's still kind of this weird thing on the horizon. What would you do? How would you camouflage something like that? What they found is that they painted the big geometric shapes on the side of a ship. When somebody was scanning the horizon for it, they would pass right by because it wasn't what they were looking for. They were looking for something that took the shape of a ship. And when they would, these weird geometric shapes would be off in the distance, they would just pass them over. Just go right on by. Camouflage. They're doing all kinds of interesting things. By, by now, all of you have seen that computer-generated camouflage. It looks like a pixelated picture that people wear now. You think, well, how would that work? But your eye just blends it right in. Your eye is used to seeing certain things, and when it comes across them, it just blends the picture, blends it right in. They're actually developing camouflage now that they believe will eventually make people invisible right in front of you. Because what the camouflage will be is an electronic sort of camouflage that projects the images of the things around it on the person, so that when you look at the person, do they just look like part of the wall? They're good till they move, and then the or the battery goes dead. I suppose. (laughs) Oh, look, there he is, hidden in plain sight. Jesus speaks. Of the hidden treasure, Matthew thirteen forty four. If you have a Bible with you, welcome to turn there. Matthew thirteen is full of these short parables, these parables of of Jesus. If you need a Bible, there's probably one in a seat near you. If there's not, there's some in the back on the on the uh, table. Um, Matthew chapter thirteen. He says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Hidden where? Hidden in a field. Now think about this for a sec, folks. There are no banks. There are no banks. It, is be, it will be generations before the uh, safe is invented. What do you do with your money when you don't want people to find it? You hide it. You hide it somewhere. And it was not uncommon to hide it out in a field. That's the whole treasure, tre- treasure map thing. You know, everybody, oh yeah, well, we've got this treasure map from so-and-so. You know why there's a treasure map? Because there's no bank And maybe because if you're a bank robber, you don't want to take your money and put it in the bank. You don't trust them. Okay, but think about the fact that in the old days they would hide treasure out in fields. They would literally go out in the field, walk, you know, ten paces out to the field, turn left, walk four paces, turn right, you know, and then put it in the ground next to that corn cob. And they would draw themselves a map, or they'd try to memorize where they put it. Well, guess what would happen? People would lose the map, or they'd forget. Have you forgotten your password to anything? And you don't want to write them down because then it's not very secure, right? You have this whole list of passwords in your desk. Pull out your desk. Look, here's all the passwords. Right? You know where people hide their passwords? Bottom of their keyboards. We just went through a whole security training thing in the conference office. And they said, look, if you've got to write your password down, do not hide it on the bottom of your your, uh, keyboard. And everybody was like, and if you looked around the room, people were like, ooh. You knew all those people had their password on the bottom of their keyboard. I was not smart enough to think of that. It's like, oh, man, it sounds like a good place to hide your password. They said everybody hides their passwords on the bottom of their keyboard, so if yours is there, go home today and take it out of there. Hide it someplace better. Hidden treasures. They took their money and buried it in places. So this is a very real thing when people say, The kingdom of heaven, when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure found in a field, people go, yeah, yeah, that happens. Yeah, yeah. Has it happened in your neighborhood? No, probably not. You know why? Banks. Everybody knows where the money is. It's at the bank. Okay? They would stash it someplace like in a field, which a man found. So I I want you to picture this guy. I want you to picture what Jesus is describing. Guys walking through a field one day. And something happened. It rained that day. Uh, something weird happened. There was a flood. The field got plowed funny. Something, something pushed up out of you know, rock, lifted it out of the ground. But he's walking through a field and he finds a treasure. Now, apparently, it's fairly exposed. Right? Because it says he found it and did what to it? He hid it. So apparently, he, it was open to where he could see it. And he stashed it. He hid it at that point. He found this treasure and he hid it. And for joy over it, goes and sells all that he has and does what? (coughs) Buys the field. So which is of more value, all that he has or the treasure that he's buying? The treasure that he's buying. He has found a treasure that is of greater value than everything else he has. Right? Right? Is that logical to you? Would you go buy or sell everything you have and buy a treasure that was less than what everything else you had? Bad investment. Okay? So he finds the treasure, he hides it again, and then he goes and sells everything he has and buys the field. So, what do we know about the treasure? Well, we know that the treasure was hidden. True? True. These facts should not be hard to sort out in this story. It's a short one. Number two, it's found right treasure was hidden treasure is found number three it's valued yes we all in agreement so far and lastly it's purchased at great cost okay treasure's hidden in the field we know it's hidden it's found it's valued and it's purchased at great cost sells everything he has goes buys the field so that he can have the treasure that he's reburied in the field now do you wonder about the guy who sold him the field Apparently, the person who sold the field didn't know the value of the field. Now, you start walking down the ethics trail for this thing, and it starts to get a little sketchy for you, right? Uh, What do you do here? You find treasure in the field. Taking it home with you is stealing. Burying it, buying the field. Mm. Apparently, it's seller beware, too. (laughs) Know your values of your property or something? I don't know. I don't know. That, that, it, I don't know if it seems sketchy to you. There's just an element of sketchiness. I go so far with this story and I say, okay, it's a story. It's a parable. It's not meant to teach ethics. Okay? Then he goes right on. The next parable, quick, quick parable about value again. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. What's he looking for? Beautiful pearls. This is a pearl merchant. Okay? He's looking for beautiful pearls, who when he found one of great price, so he finds a, uh, finds a pearl that's have, that has great value, he went out and sold all that he had and bought it. So once again, we have a story of, now this is, the, this is not something hid, but it is something sought, right? Something looked for something sought after this guy knows the values of pearls. He finds this wonderful pearl He finds somebody who's willing to sell him this pearl. He sells everything he has and he goes and buys this pearl why? Because he believes the pearl is of more value than everything else. He has we're starting to see a pattern Okay, so what do we know about the pearl? Well, it's sought after it's not hidden It's sought after. Clearly, somebody has it. It's out of the oyster, right? It's not still at the bottom of the ocean, or he'd just take it and go home with it. Someone else owns it. Someone else has it. He finds this great pearl, and then he sees its value. Now, whether the other person doesn't recognize its value or not, I don't know, but he sees it as a very, very valuable pearl. He goes and purchases it again at great cost. So the treasure was hidden, Found, valued, and purchased at great cost. The pearl is sought after, found, valued, and purchased at great cost. Do you see the parallels? Okay, all right. What do we know about the kingdom from these two stories? The kingdom of God is like hidden treasure. The kingdom of God is like a pearl. What do we know about the kingdom from these stories? Well, it can be found. That reasonable? The kingdom of heaven can be found. People can find it. People who are looking for it can find it. And sometimes people stumble upon it. It can be sought after. Somebody can go looking for it and find it. They can find it. And sometimes somebody will just stumble right over it. It's like wandering to somebody who leads them to a, to a discovery. To who they, they finally go, whoa, look at that. Jesus is real. Look at that. I've stumbled into the kingdom of God. It can be found either way, right? Both examples are true. Number two, it's valuable. So what is God saying about the kingdom? It's a very, very good, great value. It's very valuable. And number three, it will rearrange your values. What becomes the most valuable thing you have after these discoveries? For the guy who finds the hidden treasure, he sells everything he has. So what does he have left? Only the treasure he bought in the field. The pearl of great price. What does he do? He sells everything he has. So what does he have left? Only the pearl. It's highly valued and it totally rearranges your values. And the kingdom becomes of your number one value. Following? Okay. It's interesting if you follow this story. Jesus finishes telling these parables. The next parable is a parable of a dragnet, which I believe is a parallel parable to the opening parable about the sowing of the seeds. I want to stick with this theme of the hidden treasure, though, because look what happens next. Jesus goes to Nazareth. It came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. And when he had come to his own country, taught them in their synagogue. Now, we actually know what he read. We know the story. There's other parts of the story. Other people tell the story, and we know he got opened the book of Isaiah, and he taught them from the book of Isaiah. But in this particular case, Matthew is focusing on a specific element about this, this trip to Nazareth. He went to his own country and taught them from the synagogue so that they were what? Astonished. Astonished. They were astonished. This kid comes walking in, he opens up the Bible, starts teaching him stuff, and like wow, wow, look at that. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Ever try to teach your parents something? Ooh, how to use a cell phone. Yep, one time when I was about 17 years old, which is a bad age to try to teach your parents something. I recognize that now. I remember sitting in the living room with my dad. My dad was in his lazy boy feet up, paper in front of him, standard pose. And he asked me a question. And I unloaded all of my freshly discovered knowledge of the Bible. Pretty much everything I knew on him in the next half hour. My dad, looking askance at me from his paper, just kept trying to ask me harder questions. And he just kept messing with me, and messing with me, and messing with me. I don't think he was learning anything. And at the end of the day, he just kind of threw up his hand and basically told me, stop talking to me. When you're 30, and your parents are in their 50s, And you try to tell them something. Are parents easy students? Why? Because the parent looks at you and says, where did she get this wisdom? Where did she, where did he get this information? And you know what's kind of under that question? Who does he think he is anyway trying to teach me? I changed that boy's diapers. If it weren't for me, little woman, you'd be dead. (laughs) Don't get so high and mighty with me. It's the same attitude, isn't it? Jesus gets back to Nazareth and they're saying, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? This is how we know who Jesus' brothers are, by the way, because the names are all there. And his sisters, who, by the way, don't get named. Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? What's underlying this question? Who does he think he is coming here and talking to us like this? He's the carpenter's kid. He's not the rabbi's kid. He didn't go to college. He didn't do nothing. Who does he think he is? So they were offended. Do you think Jesus said anything offensive? According to what I read from the same story in John, he's just reading them from the book of Isaiah, and he's telling them these things are fulfilled in your presence. It's not all that offensive. But they are offended. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, and in his own, what? House. Anywhere a prophet goes, He's honored. You know what they tell you as a, as, a, as a leader, as a pastor? They say, in order to gain intelligence, you have to go at least 60 miles away from your church. If I go preach in another church 60 miles away, I'm smarter than I am here. It's true. And the farther away I get, the smarter I am. It's absolutely true. I go to camp meeting and I preach at camp meeting. They're like, oh, your church must just bow when you walk in. And I smile and I say, yes, they do. <laughs> Every single one of them. And the guests, too. A prophet is not without honor except where they already know him. That's why we don't let pastors go back to their home church. You'll ne- you almost never see a pastor who grows up in a church... Is, is converted or whatever, becomes a pastor, hopefully gets converted, and it becomes a pastor, goes off to seminary, has a career, you almost never see them go back to that original church. Because when they get back to that, little, that original church, they're little Johnny, they're little Janie. Oh, I remember you. I used to be your creator roll teacher. And you get up to preach and they're looking at you they're going, oh, isn't he cute? He's 60, but he's so cute. Still got those dimples and then the, the, they come and pinch your cheeks and stuff. It's not a good deal. Jesus has gone home. And the people at home are offended at his his rabbinic understanding. They're offended at what he's telling them. They're offended at Jesus. Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their what? Unbelief. So, what do we know about this treasure? It's hidden right in front of them, isn't it? It's hidden in plain sight. The king of the universe is walking in the streets of Nazareth, and the people of Nazareth are going, who does this guy think he is? King of the universe. Son of God. Creator of all things. Sustainer of your breath. All those are valid answers, right? Who does he think he is? Well. Mark says it this way. He could not do many mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people. I like this. It's not considered a big deal. (laughs) He just walked through and healed some people. Nothing really big. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Jesus is being held back, not able to do the works he would have done in Nazareth that day because of their unbelief. Can I just pause for a sec and say when the Bible says you have not because you ask not, this is what it's talking about? You don't always get the answer you want for your prayers, right? It's okay to admit this. This is not a problem. Everybody has the same problem. You do not always get the answer you want. There are several reasons for that. There are several reasons for that. Number one, you would blow it if you got the answer you wanted. Right? Lord, I'd just like to be a millionaire. You ever watch any of these genie movies? It's always bad when the guy gets what he wants. You guys must not watch genie movies. If you always get what you want, most of us would just blow it. We'd have all kinds of problems. We'd treat it like a a, like a vending machine, like some lottery that we could win. Most of us can't handle getting the answers yes all the time. Number two. It would harm others if you got what you wanted. I'm falling from this plane, Lord. Could you stop gravity? Well, not really. That's not such a good idea. It would harm others. Number three, you live in a sinful world. And for God to step in and change everything you asked would be to be the same capricious agent of of his own will that the devil accuses him of being. Oh, look, one of my kids wants something. Okay. 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 And the results of sin are being played out on this planet. The weeping of Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus is a demonstration that he would like to give you what you want. But there are forces at play here beyond our understanding. And you will get your answer in time. But you will get your answer face to face. So what do we know about the treasure? It's Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Somebody stumbles upon it. They, they, they see its value. They sell everything they have. They go by the field and they're joyous because of the treasure they found. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great price. It's very, very valuable. A pearl merchant finds it, sells everything he has, all the other pearls in his collection, and he buys this one pearl and he's very joyful because he has it. The kingdom of heaven is of great value. And when you sell everything else, To get it, it upsets all your values. It rearranges all of your thinking. It becomes the most valuable thing you know and you have. The kingdom of heaven, in the streets of Nazareth, in the body of Jesus, hidden inside the physical form of the carpenter's kid, is the creator of the universe. So what do we know about Jesus? He can be found. Isn't that good news? You might stumble upon Jesus someday, or somebody might help you find Him, or you just may have to strive to seek Him and find Him, but you can find Him. He can be found. If you have been away from God for a long time, if you've been wandering off trying to do your own thing... Turn around. Repentance means to turn around. In this church, I tell you this all the time. Repentance just means to turn and go in the other direction, go in the direction of God, to go toward Him. Repent, go the other direction, because He's going to be found in that direction, not the way you're going on your own. Repentance is not you going through all the lists of sins you can think of. That's penance. That's you trying to do the right thing for for other reasons. And penance is basically legalistic. What repentance is, is you're going this way, and this way leads to hell. Turn around. Go the other way. That's all it is. Start walking toward Jesus. He can be found. When you turn around, he will come out to meet you. That's that collision of God's grace that we talk about all the time. Where God's grace meets your needs. Out on the road, a long way from home, he's running out to you when you turn around and head home. He can be found. We know Jesus can be found. Number two, he rearranges all your values. He rearranges all your values. When you find this gift, when you find this king, when you discover this kingdom, it topples over everything else you thought you understood about the world. It turns everything upside down. Everything changes. Everything you value changes. Your own free will. I will do what I want. Oh, Lord, but I know you want the best for me, and so I'll do what you want. It's my money. Well, okay, Lord, I see that there is great a great deal of good things to be done so I'll I'll help out with what I have. These are my kids! No, you know, Lord, I, I understand that you love my children even more than I do and so I give them over to your hands. It rearranges all of your values. It rearranges all of your values. And to miss him. Because you refuse to to turn and head his direction, to miss him costs you. He was unable to do the miracles that he hoped to do in Nazareth because they didn't get it. They didn't buy who he was. They didn't understand. They didn't believe. They refused to accept that the carpenter's kid could truly be the son of God. And so they were offended by him. In these three verses, short little parables, as the testimony about the kingdom of God. That simply says, you know, it's kind of hidden. If you seek it, you can find it. And if you if you're in the right place at the right time, you might stumble right across it. You know, I think those who stumble across it are the people born in the church. You know, you're born to a Christian family. They take you to church all the time. And you're not, you're not really paying attention to it. And one day you trip right over the gospel. And you go, oh my goodness, I didn't see that there. And you may have heard it 30 or 40 or 150 or 3,000 times. But all of a sudden one day you trip over it and there it is. I think those who are seeking it are those of us who are born outside of, of a family that always has or already has a relationship with God. And because someone leads us, someone points us, someone talks to us, somehow we hear about it, we start looking for it. We start seeking the information first, and then we start seeking the one who gives the information, and we begin to get it. And one day it starts to click, and one day it starts to make sense, and one day you start to follow. And you realize, everything got rearranged. I didn't, I didn't see it coming, but everything got rearranged. The challenge to the church from these two little parables is to embrace the kingdom. It's worth everything you have. So I want to ask you, if you're holding anything out, stop. I don't know what it is. It's different for everybody. If you're holding something back, Stop holding it back. We all do it. You're not alone. This room is full. Everybody here has the same issue. We, we, at times, or sometimes continuously, hold things back. A lot of us, it's our independence. For a lot of us, it's our independence. We, we think somehow we are better off doing it on our own. <laughs> I'm just saying you can't do it. There's no there there. That's not possible for you. If there's something you're holding back, I want to challenge you. I want to implore you. I want to invite you to stop holding it back. To give it over to him. To let him rearrange the values that he wants to rearrange. To rearrange the life that he wants to rearrange. To see the value in what he's offering you. And be willing to toss everything else aside. this is not an offering appeal because usually it's not money. I know some of you start thinking, oh he's going to make an offering appeal. Nope, this is, this is much better than that. This is a heart appeal. This is a what are you holding in your heart clenched like a fist that you're unwilling to release to him. Let's pray about that. Father God, there are as many reasons and resistances as there are people. We choose to let you in to that corner, of that pocket, that place where we're holding back. We choose to open our hand to you and trust you. In spite of all of the things that people shout to the contrary, we choose to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.